Between the Chapters, a weekly podcast discussion focusing on a chapter of the book, 25 Years of EdTech, written by Martin Weller. Here's your host, Laura Pasquini. Well, welcome to Chapter 15. It's 2008, and we're here to talk about e-portfolios. I'm so excited to welcome Orna Farrell and David Wicks to the book club chat. Thank Hi. You. Hi. Good to be well, here. 2008 feels like eons ago. Um, wondering what was going on in the world of e-portfolios. These are the digital gathering of things, outputs, assessments, resources, quote from the chapter, in your world, if you care to share. Well, thanks, Laura. I suppose I'll go first. Earlier on, I was trying to remember what I was doing in 2008. Um, and as far as I can remember, I was very early career uh, academic, working in a private university in Dublin. And I was just dipping my toe into the world of portfolio at that time. And the reason was, is I was given a module about professional, oh, sorry, personal development, and I knew nothing about it. Um, and I was kind of struggling to come up with a plan for the module. And a colleague said to me, maybe, maybe you could try a portfolio approach with that. That might work well. So I started reading up on portfolios. And I saw people were talking about e-portfolios. And I thought, wow, they sound kind of cool. Maybe I'll try one of those. Uh, then I found some of the JISC resources. So I'm not sure if you've come across JISC, but they had a big project actually in 2008. Um, and that's kind of was my starting point into ePortfolio. I worked with a group of about 25 students that year. We used kind of a Moodle plugin for that first portfolio. So I think it's the diary plugin in Moodle. Um, and it, it worked really well. Uh, one thing I really remember about it, it was I really knew the students after it. I got them to do a little presentation of their portfolio. I really didn't have a clue. I was feeling my way. But I do remember thinking, wow, that was interesting. I learned a lot about my students. They seemed to enjoy what they did as well. One thing we did do is get very bogged down in the technical side of hyperlinking and adding images and things like that. Uh, but maybe that was just the time it was as well. It's interesting that you had something called personal development because I actually taught a class like that for a few years when I was an academic. So we always want our learners to grow. David, what were you doing around this time for around e-portfolios? Yeah, I'm not really certain of the exact year right now, but um, I mean, my entrance to it was uh, a dean. I was working in a, you know, the ed tech department at the time, and the school of ed dean contacted me and said, um, uh, "We, you know, accreditation is coming up, um, and we have to have a, like a portfolio, like the." You know, there was language that just specifically said that they had to have portfolio assessment. And I don't remember if it was like a year away or something, but they needed a solution now. And so, you know, at the time, there were a bunch of these companies that were just portfolio assessment companies. I don't even know. I just haven't heard about them in years, um, maybe because I'm not using them. But you know, we picked one, I won't name them, but, you know, went all in and uh, uh, it was just really prescriptive. You know, we just had here, here's the exact template. Everybody's portfolio will look exactly the same. Here's where you upload artifacts. And probably the worst part of it was students, you know, got nicked for a, like a hundred dollar fee to, to do it. So you were, you know, no creativity, uh, uh, no personal choice, just um, upload these assignments, so to speak, 
uh, to show that you have competency on these standards. And it was, it was um, not well received by faculty or students. I think I just fell asleep when you say competency and standards. So I understand why. <laughs> um, no, and it's so Sorry. funny. It's so funny. No, it, but that's how people felt though. We just said, let's put these things of yours that you've done into a thing with the word E in front of it. And I just like was reading um, this line that Martin wrote. Uh, the reason e-portfolios were kind of argued for was they provide a place to store all the evidence of a learner gathers to exhibit their learning, both formal and formal, in order to support lifelong learning and career development. And it's funny, the lifelong learning and career development are my two reasons why I do the things I do anywhere in life like that's my my kind of focus and vision or my why and I laugh because we force people to do that sharing in such a weird um, systematic institutional way that maybe that's not the purpose of what they were supposed to do but that's how it felt was really awkward. I think that's one of the big challenges and also maybe uh, affordances of portfolios is that they're nearly too flexible they there can be so many different things and one thing i always say to supporting people to develop portfolios is you know what's the purpose of this is it assessment is it professional development is it personal development you know you know name what it's for and then you know create the prompts and the task around that purpose um because people students can be very confused by portfolios i've found um, so, you know, you have to have a clear aim and a clear objective and you have to communicate that to everyone. Um, but but I think that's actually one of their, both the flexibility is is great, but it's 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 also a hindrance. Uh, and Martin, I think in that chapter, says something about like it could be a blog. He always says that when I talk to him about uh, portfolios. Um, and in some ways it could be a blog, but I think there's some personal stuff that people put in portfolios that maybe you wouldn't necessarily want to publish. So I think maybe that that's where the difference is. Can we give some examples for our listeners? Because I, I do want to distinguish a little bit, because I was kind of like, is my blog or website a portfolio? Um, because we put this word E in front of few, a few chapters in this book, um, the 25 Years of Ed Tech. And this is one of the ones that E gets attached to portfolio, like e-learning, e-learning standards. So what makes an e-portfolio kind of a portfolio um, in, in your world or your mind view? Yeah, for, for us, you know, so we have actually, I mean, we call ours a B portfolio because it actually is a blog uh, portfolio. Um, and our problem was we were too prescriptive. And so the flexibility is what changed it all for us. I mean, opening it wide open and um, we still, you know, we ask our students to so work, you know, the other thing that really helped us out was um, Jim Groom's domain of one's own. Um, that That movement really put us in a position where we could tell students, hey, get a get a domain, um, get a WordPress server set up, and um, here are categories that we want you to um, consider. You can have some of your own, uh, but uh, do whatever you want. And then at the end of the day, you know, here's what we're assessing uh, as part of this this portfolio. Okay, that's great. Now, what would go in an e-portfolio? How would you describe that to someone? Yeah. So for, for us, you know, we are, it is, you know, even though standards are boring, I mean, we have to deal with them. And so it gives us a way, um, you know, we, we're actually doing it in, with inquiry-based learning. So we're, we're ha- with the st- standards, we just have a student say, okay, um, here's what this standard says. What is your question? What is a question related to your field of study 
that you have about this standard. Go research it, write about it, get feedback from others about it, and then um, you know share your solution, um, your resolution to your um, your problem. And we're um, we we started using the practical inquiry model from from community of inquiry, and now we've developed our own. That's that's we call Quest, which um, basically has them. Uh, you know, every letter of quest stands for something, but they're asking a question. They're they're trying to understand it. They're trying to educate others. They come up with a solution, and then they're in the end, um, it's it's used in teaching, uh, and they work all the way through that process um, in in kind of a learning portfolio model, and then at the end of their study. Um, they have a capstone course where they're coming up with kind of a uh, either a showcase or a capstone portfolio where they really are then kind of reflecting on all that they've done, all the evidence they've either gathered informally or formally in their learning, and then saying this is this is why I should be considered why I should people should think that I have mastery over this subject. So you, it sounds like your group um, in Seattle have done like a, a Seattle U, uh, Pacific U have done like kind of a framework around it. So the community of inquiry, I like that quest idea. That's an interesting way to frame it, like where they have to find things. And is this in, um, this is in a school of education, like an education mm-hmm. domain. Yeah. So this is where it reminds me of like my first portfolio was in a master's of science and education. I was in upstate New York at Niagara University and also having to have like an artifact a reflect on it, a share and showcase. So it could be like a lesson I did, or it could be um, some, I did one around accessibility uh, for teaching reading. And um, yeah, it was kind of like a deep dive into the thing you created. So it may not be a blog, um, but I wonder, um, are we using it in other domains and what does that look like? Mm. Well, first of all, can I just answer the previous question first? Yeah. Is I actually don't like the word e-portfolio at all because all right. it's very, very technocentric. I also think it's like a product of the '90s or maybe the the, the noughties, like where you put e in front of everything, like you know, e-commerce, <laughs> just commerce guys. And I think the same about e-portfolio. It's a portfolio. Uh, you know, it's it's really you know, uh, I prefer learning portfolio myself. Um, and that's the phrase we use in, in my university. Um, and we have um, loads of different purposes going on and, and adoptions. So we use a kind of a customized Mahara uh, called Loop Reflect, which integrates very nicely with Moodle. So the kind of user experience is nice. It meets all those quality assurance things, that, you know, that, that people tend to go for systems over blogs like, you know, you can lock down the submission so the external examiner can view it. So that boring stuff um, <laughs> that maybe a blog is less d- developed for. Um, but you've got people in education using it. One, one very common use in education is placement uh, or practicum. So teaching placement. So uh, people reflecting on their experiences. And that ne- wouldn't necessarily be assessed. That would be used as part of the kind of supervision process. Um Another use in science is labs. So they're using kind of portfolio type lab books. Again, you know, you write up the experiment, but then you think a bit about what you learned. So some reflection there too. In business, when we had study abroad, back pre-COVID when people went places, uh, so they they would have had a very big study abroad program and it was kind of pastoral care. 
they had people in all sorts of countries and stuff like that. And they really had a problem where they lose, lose, they could lose track of people and something, something serious would happen to, you know, Mary in France and the, and the university would have no idea what was going on with her. So they brought it in initially for that kind of um, pastoral care element, but then they realized, actually, this is fantastic. You know, it's really capturing that kind of uh, experiential learning of being in a different country and culture. And so they actually modified the, uh, the module assessment to, to suit that. And one thing they did there, which was very nice, was they had the students submit them like weekly, like a diary. Uh, then they chose their best kind of four or five from the year and made it into a showcase and then shared that. So they didn't share the kind of messy bit, which is where the, where the learning happens, I think, yeah. because I think there's something there about what you share and what you don't share. Because uh, some, some of your feelings and thoughts could be very private and personal. You wouldn't necessarily want to showcase them to, you know, different audiences. So I think that's always something to to think about. No, I think that's great to hear. Though I think you're right, it's that murky, messy part that um, we allow our learners and maybe ourselves to work out. And not everyone has those affordances or privileges to use it a public space, like a, a website or a blog. And it's it's interesting to hear because I had a group of my learners that were in broadcast journalism, PR and communication, and they did use public facing tools. Like they heavily relied on WordPress and Twitter. Um, but that was like probably in the early aughts to like mid to like, I think to late 2000s. I do think they see it's a different landscape now. If we if we're asking people to be in public uh, spaces that are owned by other companies. Um, and that's the other question I have for all of you is like, where do people take those portfolios when they leave? If it's under a learning management system or it's a different hub that's not theirs, can they walk away with it um, so they can share their formal and informal kind of experiences, the ones they do want to share publicly? So so in our case, you know, we are using uh, WordPress and it is a public facing blog. Um, but what we're using that, um, those opportunities where they have to decide, is this something I should share publicly or privately? Um, we're leaving that decision to the student. Um, you know, we're, we're hopefully giving them um, some guidance in that area. But these are, uh, you know, I also should say our, our learners are uh, adult learners. They're mostly people that are in master's or doctoral programs. So, so um, you know, these aren't 18-year-old students um, going through this process. But, uh, um, you know, I think, you know, with that, um, you know, there's constant questions about, okay, you asked me to interview, um, you know, the head of IT at my school or my university and to write about, you know, whether we're, you know, kind of a needs assessment on a particular situation. Uh, my university would not want that information to be on a public blog. That's not going to go well if somebody reads that, what I've written about that. Okay, well, then what we'll say is that's where, you know, we've got this um, LMS that we're using and you submit the document there that completes the assignment. But then we're still asking you to reflect on the experience. So what is it that you learned from that situation? What could you say without, um, you know, being, you know, doing harm, if you don't feel like that's something that need, that should be uh, shared in a public space. 
Um, and then, you know, they are going through that process throughout the, the year. Um, we have uh, like a hackathon um, at some point where uh, they learn how to create their, their final portfolio. And, you know, the first thing that they want to do is go back and fix all their posts where they've either said, I don't believe that, you know, what I said, uh, you know, in my first course about um, these are, you know, you know, this is kind of my technology, educational technology creed, and these are the things I believe in and that I think are important for for a tech. I don't believe some of those things anymore. I want I want to go back and change that post. We say, well, it's a blog. You can do whatever you want. It's your blog. You you, you it's your domain. You can rewrite the whole thing if you want. Maybe correct the spelling mistakes if you if you want to do something. At this point, we're most interested in you completing the final portfolio. Um, and then, you know, what you, what you choose to do with your, your pub, your public space, uh, it's, it's completely up to you. You own it, you take it with you. You know, some students keep blogging, most don't, most don't. And that's, that's a piece that I want to figure out is how do we, I mean, how do we keep them in a, a kind of this reflective mindset? They're probably doing it, but they're not, you know, writing it down anymore. Uh, and they've shared so much so many valuable things over that two-year experience that if they continue to do that in their work, I think, you know, everyone would learn from them, but it's just, you know, it's how we all are. We just move on. And other than you, Laura, you, you, you continue to always write down everything that you learn. I mean, your, your, your blog is amazing. I try to, but it's hard actually. All of you are making me think about like putting awkward things out there and real things out there and not being like, I don't want to put content out there. I want to put real meaningful reflections out there. That's hard. It's a vulnerability. It's awkward. And you'll get real about, if you really want to get real about stuff, then that's the good piece it could be damaging for folks. And I get that. Like our learners from 18 to like 85 is who I used to teach. Not everyone feels comfortable putting things in um, open public spaces and the internet's changed so much. So I talked with Jim about this on uh, an episode earlier, Jim Groom, because taking back what we do online is going to be a big thing. And I like that, Orna, you hate the word E in front of portfolio. I think much of it is just putting things out there and sharing your experiences or what you're learning. Um, But not everyone's comfortable doing that because they don't want to say, I don't know, I failed, I messed up, or my bad. So how do we support our learners in that kind of way? It's such good learning and failure, though, as well. We should be celebrating more failure. Um, I mean, if you think about I always think the things I failed at, I, I probably know better now. Um, and I think what you say, Laura, is interesting about the public, the private, our our identities and what we've put online. I mean, if we think back to 2008, people had no filter online, I don't think. <laughs> no. uh, and very little fear about putting things online. Whereas now, you know, people are much more wary about their privacy, what happens to their data and their right to be wary. Um um, and just back to the question of ownership, I think what you were saying there, David, about the students owning their own, and I, and I think that's that's really important. Um, our students as well, the same, they keep their portfolio for life. Um, so they keep access to the platform and they can export it and or they can share it with it, which it's totally up to them whether they use it or not. And I'm too, I'm curious also whether how much they're using it because we only started using it at a large scale about four years ago. So it'll be probably next year we have graduates 
and we'll be curious to see if, if they use it. But one thing I did find interesting, I was interviewing for staff recently and someone did have a portfolio included with their CV. Now, it was a little one made on Padlet. It was very nice, though. So I thought, wow, if people are putting their portfolios on their CV, they, that's kind of interesting. I don't know if that's happening in your part of the world. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because I recently did a job change. And that we've talked about this even in my in the industry and role I'm in now is people are talking about showcasing the work they're doing um, and maybe they've done like ad hoc pieces or they're like, I, I could do these um, and whiteboard animation designs or I create these voiceover things. And I was like, well, where do you have it? I think having a digital find of cool things you're working on actually helps people do that better. And I, I think everything that in this chapter talks about the problem, if we could focus on like keeping it simple, like doing the opposite, keeping it simple, Focus on the user, the, per- the person that's using it. Think about the skills you could show and giving ownership. I think the power of a portfolio in, a, in an online space, because there's so many cool ways to showcase like what we do and in different kind of professional fields. It's an interesting way to stumble on people you want to meet and also communities you want to find. And I think that's kind of been the value of putting them into open online spaces. Um, and this, it's funny, this chapter does sit before we hit Twitter and social media before we hit, it's actually just after it's ironically after blog. So I see where Martin's preferences come. Martin, we see you blogger. Um, and then we know, we know he loves blogs. I know. I know we can't get away from that. And like, it's just so fascinating to me that I think it's going to be kind of how we share because badges come later and what credentialing might come later. So I think this is going to grow. I'm fascinated to see where your learners take this as well, both yours, Orna and David. And I also, I think we're saying they're about blogs and Twitter. I mean, for me, it's very intertwined and, and the whole show reel thing, because you're right. If you work in educational technology or whatever word you want to describe what we do, I think it's much more effective rather than telling someone what you can do to show them what you can do. So, you know, a well-crafted video or a nice piece of animation or a podcast, you know, look, this is what I can do. It's just, I think it's just stronger. It's evidence-based. People will respond, I think, more to it. Yeah. Our our students, you know, they have reported, you know, using these in, in, uh, when they're seeking employment and have found that it's been given them a leg up that, that people are impressed. Um, and, you know, it's, it's full of their reflections uh, there because it is the combination of their learning portfolio and their capstone portfolio. And so they, they do have, you know, maybe things that they aren't as proud of uh, included in it, but they, they said it's well-received. And I do think that people are starting to look at it as, okay, this is somebody who reflects on their learning. That's what we want, you know, regardless of whether they've changed their mind. We all do, regardless of if, if they make mistakes. Uh, somebody just uh, tweeted me a, a tweet that I shared in 2010, which was a, a Larry Cuban um, prediction of 2020. Um, he missed it. He, he had no idea there was going to be a pandemic. I'm not, I'm not sure what he was thinking about, but he, he completely missed it. Um, so he he actually you know talks about their you know that that online learning will will grow but probably not that much. Um, I think it's grown quite a bit more than he anticipated, uh, quite quite fast in fact so this last year. Be curious to see what hangs on after though. Yeah, you know, true, when we all true. go back to whatever normal will look like, what will remain? You know, what bits do people really like? 
Yeah. You know, they keep, they keep, they'll be like magpies. They keep the bits they like and <laughs> discard the bits they don't. Well, it's funny that we talk, we're kind of weaving in uh portfolio self is I think there's a neat way to see an evolution of it. Um, In my doctoral program, what of the, instead of doing like a candidacy uh, comprehensive exam, we had the option to do portfolio based, right? And so this is kind of where David's group does this as well. Um, you would show and share artifacts. And so for a PhD, we had some, um, we had to have some, obviously articles published in peer review journals. Uh, we had to do some presentations someplace and you could pick and choose other pieces and you would sh- show and tell it in a, uh, portfolio. It's like, it was called my doctoral portfolio defense. And I was trying to find it now because I put it on some other website and I was like, why didn't I just put this on my website? Um, because I think I was looking, I was trying to work to the standard or a requirement that fits that program. Um, I talk about it on my blog and website, but I look back and even looking back at my own blog, which I, I think is my, I guess, ongoing portfolio, you can edit it and you can take away those cringy things and those grammar and spelling mistakes, you can find them with Grammarly online and fix those. It's okay to put something out there and go, oh, wow, I left out a whole word or sentence. Let me fix that. Um, do we not teach our learners that, or maybe we don't teach our staff and faculty that, that they could be fluid with these portfolios? Yeah, but I think what you were hitting on there is that you didn't maybe put it on your blog, your main blog, because that's a different identity. Like that was like, that's your, your work self, perhaps. And the other one was your student self. And sometimes it's weird how these multiple identities are at play sometimes. You know, I have I, like my Twitter identity is my professional one, but my Facebook is my is my social and family one. And I think that's something that's that's evolved as well. The blurring of the lines. Yeah, I don't know if I did that. I just thought it was an ugly looking portfolio. I just, aesthet- I aesthetically didn't like, like, I think I talked about my work stuff, but that's a good question though. Like how do, how do this, how do the things in our portfolios, um, E or not impact where our learners are at? Cause I have I had a lot of adult learners that would pick and choose of what they want to share. And one of the showcases or one of the kind of tools they explored in further, that didn't mean they posted there was using LinkedIn to go find informational interviews or connect with communities related to their pharmaceutical, occupational therapy or law things they wanted to do. So I wonder what it means to ask them to play in like, quote unquote, real spaces outside of the walls of a university or college. Does that, because your, your students do that too, David, right? Yeah. I mean, we actually, in this quest model, um, that the end of it is that they're sharing their peers work uh, in social media, or just, we, we just refer to it as their PLN. So we want them to say, okay, you found what, you know, what your uh, peers were working on for this module meaningful uh, share that with somebody, you know, share it kind of in the, you know, in this, in the faculty lounge at your school, you know, so to speak, the, the, the digital one, if that, you know, if there's like a, um, list that, that you all share that you could post something, post a link to, but, but they also share their, their Twitter on Twitter and, and other social media. And that just, you know, what we're trying to do is just have people engage, with them. And in some cases, they may not agree with what, with what you've written, but most times what they're doing is they're finding out, Hey, here's one more source of information for you that you could have used um, in, in what you came up for with your solution. PLN for the listeners is personal learning networks, big fan, 
long time, yeah, long, long time supporter. Um, long time supporter, that too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's funny, uh, there isn't a chapter on PLNs. There's a PLE, personal learning environments, mm. um, which I'm going to I call. think the PLN, though, is more powerful. Personally, for me, anyway, that's, I, I, I find Twitter a huge source of information. Um, like, I keep up research just by following certain people. And also even connection. I mean, I've met people at conferences. I've followed them on Twitter. Never met them in person before. Um, I think I, I think there's huge potential. But I think students can be a bit uncomfortable with it sometimes. I've been working with a, a nursing faculty recently, getting student nurses to engage with Twitter because they can use that uh, to go towards their CPD points. And there's and a very continuing uh, education. Yeah. That, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, exactly. And uh, there's a big nursing community on Twitter and they're sharing, you know, they're sharing information, they're sharing resources. So good, good network for the students to be in. But some of the students found it very uncomfortable. I, I'm not sure why. I think they felt quite exposed by it. Or... Yeah, I've heard this in other professions. Like I know some social workers online that use the space. And then you also have, I have some other like um, uh, lawyers and things that like they just are cautious of what to say because they don't want to bring in clients or but they do want to talk about some of these issues so yeah twitter has been one for folks people have found community on linkedin um, and then they're going to these quiet channels like slack now because they want to have private spaces to have open conversations and chats so i think that's true um i did find my portfolio and i'll share it with you too it's because it's ugly i really was like i think i look older in this one and i will probably put in the show notes but like have you been forced to fit into an e-portfolio and i think this is one of the things that barton brings up is these tools or whatever we require for our domains or disciplines they're like fit do these like seven points or six areas reflect on it put them into these buckets um I find it boring, but I guess that's because we have to assess them in some way or yeah. you have to have a standard. Yeah, I mean, and I think you're right. I mean, oh, here's a Google Sites one. I'll have a look at that now, Laura. Um, <laughs> I have millions of half-finished portfolios on different platforms because at one point, my, my PhD is about e-portfolios. So at one point I was going around trying out any any system I could get my hands on and, and just building one just to see what it was like. But I know what you mean. It can be very prescriptive. And some of my early efforts with students were very prescriptive. You know, you know, have five pieces of evidence and three text boxes and use this template. But as I went on, a lot of that fell away. The only thing I did used to do is give kind of good prompts uh, and say, if you're adding evidence, make sure, you know, you explain why it's there. Because students sometimes will have a picture of a cat or something and you're like, you know, you know, you know give, give me some context, please. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, explain why it's there. And I put a word limit on it as well because students can go mental with portfolios. And that that's one thing about doing portfolio assessment. Uh, like it's lovely, it's real, it's authentic, it's different to writing a paper or an essay, like you know, much more personal experience. But students sometimes can go crazy and give you everything. So some limits, because then when you're the poor person marking a hundred portfolios, you know, over your Christmas dinner. <laughs> uh, you know, so so some limits, but I do think the less boundaries I gave them, the more creative the results. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. So some boundaries, but not too many. Laura, your use of uh, uh, Google Sites reminded me um, that um, my my mentor in the transformation from this kind of uh, corporate tool that you know, just had people filling in boxes to 
um, just more open spaces was Helen Barrett. I don't know if you know the, the name, but Helen was the just grandmother incredible. of portfolios. She, yeah. <laughs> she, I mean, she lived, uh, lived in Seattle and, and, uh, um, just kind of just mentor. I mean, she just convinced me and, uh, you know, I, I just, she just always amazed me because she was always looking to make a portfolio out of any new tool that showed up. So any new blogging tool that came out, she like took her portfolio and, and made it into, you know, whatever tool, you know, medium or whatever came out, the latest thing, she just said, Oh, I wonder how that would be as a portfolio tool. And she would turn it into a portfolio. And uh, yeah, I just really appreciate all she did for, for uh, me and for our university. Yeah. Um, um very and that connection. That listserv she had, and actually, I, I that was one of the early things I read too. Was was her e-portfolio website slash blog, and she did come to Dublin a couple of years ago as well. I met her then. Gosh, when was that? At five years ago, maybe. Very interesting. I'll put a link to her website, and uh, oh, it's a great, it's it's great. It's and I I was even looking at it recently to uh, to write. I wrote a history about of portfolio recently, um, and I, and I was looking at the website again. Because I was trying to track down the date of that listserv she started. Uh, and I think it's 1998. Because uh, I was trying to track down the earliest reference to portfolio, which is e-portfolio, 1989. Yeah, your article, um, <laughs> I like this, the portfolio to e-portfolio. <laughs> Say that word, Orna. Portfolio. I know, so, but it's, it's, it's Latin. Very good. And the evolution of portfolio in higher ed, you look at the decade of the 2000s to 2010, because that's really, and 2008 is where this um, chapter is couched, but um, that's really where it blew up. And what are some things you learned about that decade, a deep dive into higher ed portfolios? Oh, that people just thought they were the best things since sliced bread. Uh, they just thought like it was going to solve world hunger and shit, you know, you you lay with they thought portfolios it was it was ridiculously enthusiastic so you know it, it it's it's like it was like nearly any new invention they they were totally enthusiastic and all those companies that david mentioned sprung up uh you know there's that real edtech proliferation like that's happened this year around video conferencing and proctoring and a similar kind of explosion so yeah, mainly it was the hyperbole, but also the lack of evidence. There was absolutely hardly any research-based evidence at that point. And any kind of research that was there was all about the technology. So you have this kind of maturity happening in the next decade where people actually did a bit of decent research to see, you know, does this do anything for students in terms of learning? Um, and, and the kind of body of evidence really grows and builds during the next decade, 2010 to 2020. And there is a pretty good body of evidence there now. During that time, people were just, you know, it was like back of the envelope stuff. It's funny, your last question in that article, <laughs> with the shift in higher ed thinking towards alternative assessment like ePortfolio become permanent after the pandemic. Um, and these alternatives you mentioned were wikis, podcasts, videos, um, us jumping to Zoom rooms. Like, that's a great question of the permanency versus like, we always look at these shiny new objects and this is this happens in educational technology and just folks in higher ed hoping to like get the the next be best thing to be caught up behind that technology curve. I guess that's a solid question to ask, and I think that's a good one to ask everyone else: is what will stick and maintain some staying ground, and will we assess it further to like dig into? Is this actually 
quality teaching and learning for us? And could we do better? I, I really think, you know, the, the thing that drew me, especially to the use of blogs for a portfolio was, was especially with WordPress is just the ability to, you know, categorize and tag. Um, because we, we want our students, you know, to, to be able to organize their work, to be able to be reflective on it. And, um, you know, anything that they can do to, uh, you know, be able to quickly go back and find what it is that they need to reflect on for that capstone. And so as they're going through the portfolio, you know, these, that, that category piece, we just talk about it as a, like a super tag, like they're able to take, in our case, the standards and use those and just check boxes. Like when I write this post, I can look at that list of standards and see that I'm actually addressing three of them. So it, it got us out of um, thinking of, of standards as silos, like I'm doing standard one in this um, course, standard two in this course, standard three in this course. And so we started looking at it like, okay, this post actually is, I'm talking about um, three of these standards. And so I'm checking those boxes. And then when I come back um, at the end of my program and having to say that I have mastery over this, um, I'm able to go back and look at those posts uh, just quickly by clicking on it. So I think, you know, when I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking like portfolios have been around forever because uh, teachers had these big stacks of, of papers or these notebooks on their desks where they were, you know, at some time going through them. But by digitizing it, we've made it so now we can have peer assessment. We can have, um, you know, external assessment. We can have people giving you feedback from anywhere in the world. When you're talking about an author's work, the author most likely will be having a, you know, a, a Google search um, whenever their name is mentioned and might jump in and, and give you feedback and maybe correct you or maybe uh, compliment you on where you uh, understand their theory. Um, and so those are the kinds of things I think that we see um, with the, with, you know, the type of portfolio we're using as being um, important and something that just keeps going on. It is not a, just a substitution of a paper portfolio. I mean, we feel like we are um, doing something that's more transformative, that it's making the learning better. Well, I like the two things I will call out on the, you're a tech, you say sandbox, so and you have the word play. And I think we don't associate those kind of words with teaching and learning often enough, that it's going to be a space where people can tinker and hop in and give some input. Um, I, I think it's really, it's really cool that you're asking them to think about building things in uh, their worlds. Um, I do think university is still real world, but outside of their university or college uh, curriculum environments, like that you want them to have um, release of that boundary. So forget about the public private, but the idea of they could be working full time and they should be um, doing a training session that they might apply in their actual workplace and then talk about it as an artifact and what they learned. I, I love that. Mm. Yeah, and I don't know if you go to Ed Sandbox right now, one of the students read some book that has nothing to do with our program and wrote a blog post about it. And my initial thought on that was, oh, we need to filter that out. But actually, I don't I don't care. I mean, he's reflecting on something he learned. I don't even, I, I haven't read the post. It's um, actually something I don't have to assess. So I don't know if I will read it or not. But, but um, you know, the the 
most of what's on there um, is other than the original message, which I kept, which is hello world, uh, which is an important, you know, artifact in all blogs to have the original hello world post from 2014. Uh, but other than that, everything is just, you know, something that the students have shared um, during that time. And, uh, you know, I just feel like uh, it's, it's, uh, like a value of this aggregated piece that we have is really is something our students use this, you know, when they ask me, uh, where's the exemplars for this project? I, first of all, I say, I don't really believe in that. I don't, you know, I don't, I want you to shoot for your own mark. I want you to be original in your thinking, but if you need something, if you need something to generate some ideas, go search on a tech sandbox for that project and you'll find a bunch of examples of what people have done in the past, and then you can work from there. Um, if that's if that's something that that benefits you in your learning, that's a really cool idea. I like that. It works on many levels. You're getting them to share. You're getting them to reflect. You're getting them to blog, and then you've got all these like models that you can refer back to. It's a lovely, a lovely process. Thank you. Something I'm looking at uh, while I'm thinking about e-portfolios is um, and portfolios in general is yeah maybe the e needs to be taken away and. I like the B portfolio because um, it's blogging, but maybe we need an H portfolio, like the humanity portfolio, because what is coming out of everything we're talking about is people being real, um, people sharing more of themselves in these spaces. And the, the aspect of it being digitized and digital is cool because they could take it with them or it can live on. And it's kind of a an artifact of that learning that time and space. So like, I still cringe at things I put out there, even that photo in my portfolio, which I will share with this audience. Um, uh, but I think it's, that's who I was at that time. And we never do look back and take a pause. So portfolios has that aspect of thinking about who you were at a certain time, how you've grown from that time, and then maybe how you continue to build if you still use it. Do you two keep kind of a personal portfolio? It doesn't have to be public or online, but do either of you keep one out there? I have various. I still kind of keep up to date of a WordPress one. I've got a Mahara one as well. I'm actually, I'm actually a big notebook person. I, I do. I write old school uh, a lot. Um, so I keep, keep kind of a mixture of notes and diary and ideas. And, and I do look back on them. I think sometimes there's an interesting thing about looking back. I was noticing there that your e-portfolio is from 2012. It has a very 2012 look and feel as well. No, it's Even painful. the text and the colors. Oh. It's nice though. <laughs> but it does. It just, it feels like, it feels like that kind of period of time. That's what, that's what websites look like. Yeah. I, I do have my own WordPress site and, and I also have all of the things that I'm going to put in it that I haven't put in it yet. Um, but one of the nice things about WordPress is, you know, you don't have, it doesn't have to show up as today's date. So at some point when I get time to catch up, I usually put in about, you know, nine months to two years worth of articles that are get backdated and it looks like it, um, you know, for at some point I was very consistent in blogging <laughs> when actually I did it all in one day. That's very sneaky of you, David. I should do that. I've only blogged three or four times this year. So that's pro tip from David. No, I think it's I think it's kind of cool though, and something I will call out um portfolios being um digital and accessible. If you want to open them up, I think they do introduce you to other folks. And whether it's a website or you're active on Twitter or you actually I have a number of colleagues now that like use LinkedIn a whole lot to share their thought process. 
it's, it's kind of a, a nice um, doorway into someone else's work and world and what they're passionate about. And sometimes they'll share just work and sometimes they'll share random things as well. And that's kind of what piques my interest with people. Um, I don't think we talk about portfolios as much in a lot of domains I have seen in the business school and some of the labs like you talked about, Orna, but I think we're going to have this being a growing artifact of self online because there aren't, it's rare for me not to see a resume um, at my work that doesn't have a link to something somewhere for an online space. So what, what are some things that you're thinking about that we should ask maybe the higher ed community or even Martin um, of where e-portfolios and these tools could go in, in the coming years? Yeah, I mean, that's that's an interesting one. I, I'm part of a community of practice, ePortfolio Ireland, and we're working on a special issue of a journal, like a local Irish ed tech journal. And uh, we're just thinking about that very question now. We did a bit of a landscape snapshot of practice in Ireland last year, and we just did another round of data collection about a couple of weeks ago. And we were kind of curious, you know, what's changed as the pandemic pushed people's engagement with this type of practice. Our instinct was yes from talking to people in in our kind of community. Um, There was a lot of falling away of traditional assessment. Obviously, exams, campus-based exams really fell away. And also proctoring hasn't landed very well in Ireland. People, you know, there is a few universities using it, but generally people are like, don't, don't like what it stands for. Uh, is that con- too controversial to say that? No, no. Uh, we oh. we need you leading on that GDPR and that privacy and data yeah. protection. Uh, we can see the that. GDPR kind of pushes it that way, but also it's just the culture of distrust. I mean, yeah. drawing on the, someone like Mahabali or Sheila McNeil wrote about this as well. I mean, it's just create creates a culture that that isn't what we're about. You know, it's distrust, questioning, surveillance. But but the kind of questions we're thinking about is you know what will be the long term impact. Um, you know, is this is this it for a traditional assessment? I hope it is. <laughs> well, by traditional assessment, I mean your closed book exam. And and is this kind of has this opened up the whole a whole wave of new and interesting alternative assessment approaches? So they're my questions. Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of uh I really like what you were saying, Laura, about you had an alternative uh for comp exams to 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 do a portfolio. And I think that's still something that people question like somehow in education we've decided that a four-hour tell us everything you know without any notes um exam is somehow better than somebody like reflecting uh over time and actually using and having access to resources that they would use in their real work um and demonstrating how they're taking advantage of those to um, form their thinking that we've decided that those, you know, the, 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 the four hour exam is somehow a, a better representation of their, uh, of their knowledge and their, their, their work. And I, you know, we've got to get over that, uh, at some point. And then I really want to see, um, you know, students often will tell me that they're going to keep blogging and they're going to keep doing it. And I, I want to see, uh, I guess I sometimes wonder if my requiring them to blog uh, that then they're just so um, uh, glad when the program is over that they don't have anybody telling them to, that they don't, just don't get back to it. And so I want to find what is that balance? What is it that I could do to 
Um, you know, we've 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 given them voice and choice uh, on their on their um, portfolio. Now, how do we make it more freeing in terms of when they when they actually do it, so that they want to do it rather than um, feel like they're required to do it? I might be biased, but this is something I talked with like Bonnie and Clint about in an earlier between the chapters is like, I think it's finding communities that they want to be a part of where they could share that voice. And I, I do think it's also, yeah, like out of interest and, and time, that's a precious resource that we often forget about. But I, I think what's interesting to me is um, if we think about if ePortfolios does push assessments, um, maybe it also could push like what actually is looked for on the job. Like, um, I don't know the last time any of you've done this, but I could share mine. I've done, like, I actually did an assessment on a job once, like for a marketing research role last year, um, sorry, 2019. And I also did like a scenario-based test for a place I'm in. And like, so job, um, putting people into a job kind of example, like there'd be rare times you'd be assessed, but if I'm ever proctored for one of those jobs, like on an online screen, that's scary to me. And that says a lot about a company I'd work for. So I think higher ed probably has some due diligence to say, well, can we do this better? And is it opening up the concept of portfolio itself? How are we valuing the idea of sharing and showcasing what we've learned in higher ed? And could we do better with supporting our learners and maybe even our professionals, including staff and faculty on creating portfolios of the work they're doing? It doesn't have to look a certain way in a software system, but what would that look like for your kind of practice or discipline or domain is a really good kind of call out. I, I wonder um, I wonder about those spaces that are doing the work. So I think of engineering schools that have some opportunities in this. I think of um, my like friends in physical therapy and occupational theory also can talk about um, sharing their practice in different ways. It just hasn't been opened up. And maybe it's sharing some of these practices and other um, worlds of work and occupations that will get us to think more about this broadly. Before we wrap up, I was wondering, is there anything in the chapter that either is missing or that we're going to take from in 2021, still living our best pandemic lives? But uh, what are some things each of you are thinking about moving forward? Well, I actually think it's quite a nice overview of portfolio. And it's more complimentary than the blog, the original blog post that he based it on. Go on. Uh, he's, he's coming around. She's coming around. Um but I think he 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 could get into some of the there's there's more there's some research there more recent stuff that maybe could be looked at. I mean the the evidence base really for the last kind of six years has improved a lot, and there's some pretty strong stuff around self regulation in particular, critical thinking. But that's just my two cents. Yeah, I know. And maybe it's so funny. Some people are like, maybe he wants a guest author like you or not to come in. Um, maybe he does. <laughs> But also, I suppose, if you think about it in the context of the pandemic, all the autonomous independent learning everyone's had to do, like self-regulation is a really key skill. You know, the, the greater the distance, the greater the autonomy. Um, and some students have really struggled with that, particularly your typical 18-year-old undergrad who, who didn't sign up for online study. Different matter if you're talking about your typical online student who, who kind of knew what they were getting into. Um, but self-regulation, staying on task, maintaining motivation, really challenging things this year, I think. 
hey, this is true of 40-something and other older learners as well. I think it's been hard for everyone to stay productive and be their best selves. Um, they've had to manage like cats, dogs, uh, little small f- children coming in, um, partners, spouses, to and interruptions they've had to do. So I think it's something I like the idea of portfolio actually as being its own kind of place where they could do the work asynchronously and contribute and get feedback to. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm, I guess I'm mostly happy with with where our, our system is. Um, one of the things that we're building in right now is kind of a mid program check in. Um, so, so it's a two year program, and you know, the the assessment takes place at the, the well, the big assessment takes place at the very end. I mean, we are assessing. They they blog about five times a term. There's four terms a year. Um, uh, and you know, we have feedback on all of those, but then when they're actually providing their, their final portfolio, that's just done at one time. And so we're, we're actually now going to have that. We're going to have at the midpoint of the program, um, just provide a place where they can, they can check in again for a first time. Um, and I think it will address some of the concerns students have because they, they, um, one of the things they really learn is just this this idea of curating their writing, and uh, if they don't learn that till the very end, like oh gosh, if I would have done a better job of categorizing my post, this process at the end of coming up with a ref- final reflection on this topic would have been so much easier to find what I wrote because I I just failed to categorize the way I should have. Um, so we're hoping that that's a piece to it, but we're, you know, I, I, I just um, love the idea of finding better ways to help people curate uh, because I just think that is a skill many people lack. And so I think if, if we could do more with, with portfolios in terms of helping people, um, you know, through this kind of self-regulation idea, just curation as a piece of that. The, um, the final thing I wanted to think about is it's it's a cultural change of what we do. And if anything, I think e-portfolio or portfolios, I hope give people a space to reflect. Like, I don't think we pause to do this kind of thing uh, where I'm forcing the, my two colleagues now in a Zoom room to chat with me on a podcast, but like to de- dig deep into like the why and the what and the meaning behind the work we do. And this isn't just our learners, like our faculty, instructors, our staff at the, in higher ed, um, how often do we even have the time and the space to do that? Like, I think portfolios, I hope in this coming year will, um, as a concept in general, whether you have one or not, um, you should be thinking back to some of the work you do. And some of us have to do this in tenure promotion or each quarter or semester, we do a di- deep dive. But if you don't close out and think about kind of what you've done in the last little while or taken stock, I think this is a bigger case of where I think portfolio e-portfolios and portfolios themselves could give yourself some gratitude, recognition and celebrate the things you did and go, wow, I really messed up these other things as well and feel feel like that's okay to do. Uh, I agree. Reflection is very powerful, but I, I also, but you you do need time and space to do it. So true. There's so much going on right now. Um, I say take 20 minutes, uh, a week, a month to think on some of the things you've been working on and what you've done in the last little while. It maybe it's just a simple start. Good call out. I really want to thank you both for taking some time uh, to have some reflect back and deep conversation about this. Uh, I really enjoyed the chat with both of you. So thank you, Orna and David. Thanks, Laura. Yeah, thanks, Laura. And thanks, Martin, for 
for giving us a, a topic to address. It's a great book. You've been listening to Between the Chapters with your host, Laura Pisquini. For more information or to subscribe to Between the Chapters and 25 Years of EdTech, visit 25years.opened.ca.